Hello, and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Good morning, everybody. Today is officially, I believe, the first day of spring, yeah? Yeah, there we go. That's a good thing. So, let's watch the Bible like a movie today. I think it'll be valuable for us to see some of these things. Um, <clears throat> you know, if you've been here for some, some length of time, we, we reference the tabernacle and the temple, the Jewish temple, the, the tabernacle that was in the wilderness so many times. Um, we've laid that out. It's, you know, it's very symbolic for us as believers. But the priests, you know, they would go into the holy place, uh, you know, the, past the, you know, in the first room, and it was pitch black in there, say for the, 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 set, the, the menorah, the candlestick that was in there. And, and so they would light that every time when they would come in. And they would also have a table of showbread, which was the bread. And, and this is very symbolic that in order to see what they were eating, there had to be some light in the room, you know, very simple. Um, but it's the same way with the Bible coming to life for us. It's not a Ouija board where we flip it and we corporately move our fingers around on it or some, you know, you know, silly thing. But what it is, is the Word of God is actually living and active. It's alive. It's sharper than a, two, than a two-edged sword. And, and, and it's, there's something about it, reading it in the light of the Spirit, that seven-candlestick seven menorah that causes us to be able to see it for what's really going on. So maybe we'll do this. We'll come into the, um, the study room as a family today, and we'll do this kind of like a little Bible study instead of a message in front of a, a crowd of, you know, of people. And we'll, we'll start with lighting the menorah to open this word up for us today, okay? Amen. So Lord, we come before you, and I thank you that your word is truth, and it is life, and it is a light into our path, and that you are the very word. And this testifies of you, the reality of who you are, which in turn, lets us to know who we are. And so we invite you, Lord, your spirit, the Holy Spirit of God himself. We invite your spirit in this place with us today to look at your word and for your word, the Bible, to actually come alive for us, to see it for what you're saying to us today in a way that transforms. Amen. All right, let's get it going. Well, we know that Jesus is the Word of God, because it's well, it's referenced so many times in the Bible. You know, Jesus' best friend, John, who gets caught up into heaven, goes into the Spirit, into, into the heavenly places, a place that's more real than the natural, in the book of Revelation, and he falls to the ground like a dead man, seeing his, his closest friend. And uh, it's, it's this incredible thing, seeing Jesus as he truly is, you know. And, and, but he calls him something in Revelation 19, um, 13, uh, when he, when he proclaims Jesus, you know, coming on this white horse, and it says, his, and his name is the Word of God, you know. And this reference that's all through even the Old Testament, like the Word of the Lord came to me, the Word of God came to Samuel and, and stood and called out his name. The Word is a person. It is, it is the Word of God is Jesus, but it's also God. And then John comes back and he writes John 1, and he starts it off, within the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and... The Word was God. He was with him in the beginning. 
so that first verse, you know, we've, we've laid that passage of John 1 so many times against Genesis 1. It's the same thing. But he's making a point there. In the beginning was the Word, this Logos or Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word actually is God. It's God the Word is God himself. And he's talking about Jesus being God. And it's so important for us to see, and every time we come and we look to watch the Bible like a movie, and we come and this thing comes alive to us, and it'll be important today to understand that Jesus is God, and he is the Logos. He is the Word of God. Or that Word, it, it's like he, he is the, the divine expression, the communication of God, of who God is. And He's also God. So let's lay that in our minds before we do anything concerning the Bible when we read the thing. It must be known. Is that Jesus is the divine expression, the full communication of who God is, and He is God. And Hebrews 1.13, I think, says it really well. It says He is the express image of God. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God. He's God's image. He's the, he, he is the word, the logos, the expression, the full communication, the reality in this dimension of time and space of who God is given for us to read like a word, to see his person, his attributes, his nature, the way he deals with things. Because basically, the poisonous fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil had come and poisoned mankind in a way that they now had a twisted view of who God was. And Jesus is coming, the Logos, the Word, to actually set that view right. You dig? In other words, we had Him wrong. We had God wrong. Because we've seen Him through a veil, through a poisonous, through, through, through a poisoned lens, and Jesus is coming, and He does things in such a profound way, as God, but as a man, by stealth, in order to reveal who God is, but also for us to actually look into this and be transformed by it because we see what he's like and it transforms us. And so we're going to be in John 8 today, <laughs> pardon me, but we're, you know, we're going to be, um, maybe we'll start kind of in the back like an old, uh, if, I'm, if I'm going to write this movie today or I'm going to film this movie of John 8, this scene that we're going to watch, I say, let's, let's look at it kind of towards maybe the end or the middle. And what's going on here in John 8, if we start the movie but not in the beginning, is like there's a bunch of people getting really mad at Jesus. I mean, fully angry, like, you know what? I'm going to kill. I almost did a sling blade voice right there. I don't know why. I reckon I'm thinking about killing. Mm-hmm. I'm, kill- I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. You know? But it's like they were like they, they were reckon they were thinking about killing him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They were coming for him. They were like, "Let's kill this guy. We're gonna have to kill you for this." And it's like, "Yee!" And and if you if you look into it, it's like they're like, "We weren't born of fornication like you." There's some really mean, heart cutting things that they're shooting at this person. If we're watching this movie, so the movie starts with people around him talking trash to him. And saying things that are way below the belt, like harmful, hurtful things to him. And we're like, man, what is going on? But he's standing there and he's receiving and he's dishing something completely different back. Because we're watching this through the lens of John 1.1, of Revelation 19.13. Like he is the word of God and he's actually God and nobody there knows it. And he's causing the darkness of that poison to rise out of their being, this accusation, which is the very fruit 
of the poison of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the accuser himself, you know, and, and they're coming after him. And he's, and he's saying the stuff he's saying to them doesn't seem anywhere near appropriate to be this angry. People were believing in who he was. And he says something in, in John 8, 28 that I love. When you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing of myself. But as my father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me. It's like, ooh, there's something going on there. But also he's even saying like, there will come a time when I'm lifted up. And he's talking about the cross where you will recognize, oh my gosh, it's him. And man, if we were doing that message, I mean, that's a, that's a brain breaker. He's telling a lot of the Pharisees and, and, and scribes, the lawyers there, that say, hey, like, it's going to click at the crucifixion of who I am. It's going to click for some of you guys. And I guess we don't really think of it that way, but some of those people had a, an aha moment in those times, like, oh my gosh, it's him. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's great. But he speaks these words to him, and he, and he says something in, in, in John 8, verse 31 to 32, which I think is really applicable to us, definitely, if it's in red. He says, if you abide in my word, and there's that word again, that John calls him, the Logos. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Interesting. If you abide in my word, and who's talking here? Yeah, God. <laughs> you know what I mean? The one who is God and was with God and is the word of God, the Logos of God, and is saying, if you abide in this Logos, if you abide in the person of who I truly am, you'll know the truth and it'll cause you to be free. In other words, all truth is found in this person. You know what I mean? And when we try to live and abide in this relation, relational connection to him and the reality of the new creation that we're created in his image, it causes us to walk in a level of freedom. This is the year of freedom. We call it this here, you know? But it's like freedom comes from knowing him and walking in him. And even when things that are of the contrary manifest out of our nature and out of ourselves, instead of trying like Adam and Eve to push it down, hide it, to avoid it, to ignore it, it's actually taking it in a relational connection to him and actually realizing this is not who we truly are. Yeah. This doesn't sound like he's saying so much to them that makes them this angry, but man, they're like, well, you know, asking them about being made free. Like, we're, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? You know, they're saying these things. It's like, listen, you guys are under Roman rule right now. What are you talking about? <laughs> so offended, so easily offended. But he wasn't accusing them, but he was re realizing something. He wasn't saying you're bound, but he's saying, hey, you're going to be made free, which in other words is saying, hey, like, you're not free. You're not who you truly are. Mm -hmm. You know, he had a different lens. They continue to dog him throughout Romans, uh, John 8. They continue to say, you're testifying of your own self. You honor your own self. You're doing all these things. I love in verse 53, it says, are, are you greater than our father Abraham who's dead? You know, you honor yourself to be better than all these people. Just accusation after accusation and after accusation. But the main thing that he says here in this passage of, of John 8 that I think is brilliant, especially if we're watching this like a movie, because you think like erase your, 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 maybe your mind for a second as far as your memory of what's going on in John 8 and just see we're starting this movie with this really him saying some gentle kind things but it's really causing an uproar and accusations and mean words to be thrown around and so we're watching this and like man what's going on here man but then they come to something about 
are you greater than our father Abraham? Which is like what Fatini, the, the woman at the well, said. Are you greater than our father Jacob? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's interesting. They're tracing their lineage to, to man. But um, he says something in verse 56. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And when he saw it, and he saw it, and he was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old yet. And you're talking about you've seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Man, that's a hitter right there. This is the Logos of God. This is also God. This is the word, the express image, the firstborn of all creation. You know, this is, this is, the, this is the, the image of the invisible. This is God himself revealing himself to these people. The more and more they're triggered, the more truth is actually coming out, which is what's causing the trigger. It's springing the trap. It's springing the trap for, in order for them to be free. Most assuredly, I say to you, which is in God's name, before Abraham was, I am. Kind of like, I'm him. And you don't see him coming to this level very much in the Bible. But this man, like this is like, this is highly inappropriate and controversial for him to say something like that. This isn't even son of God stuff. This is saying God stuff right here. Which I love this portion of the movie. They took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Going through the midst of them, he passed them by. And that's something different right there. He hid himself like, you know, you know he ah, ran off. Like, no, 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 no. It says he walked in the midst of them. But he cloaked himself and walked right through the middle of them to where they couldn't see where he was. This is our Bible and this is the way it's written. This is some, you know, what is Obi-Wan, you know? These aren't the droids you're looking for, you know what I mean? Like, this is something like, where did he go? Like, dude, he's right there, you know, and he just walks, walks out the room. Because it wasn't his time, you know, and they didn't have power over him. An accusation didn't have any power over him, you know. And I think that's so beautiful. We see him walk out of the room, and we're all sitting there thinking, like, that was the most heated exchange. And the disciples were probably really scared around him. Because they were a lot of times like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, they're getting rocks, man. You know, the Romans, you know, these people are empowered by the Romans. Like, this is, this is a bad look. And he's saying stuff that's like, oh my gosh, he's not, he's not backing down before Abraham was. He desired to see my day and he saw it. I was like, wait, what are you, you're acting as if you had this relational connection with Abraham. And Abraham saw into the future, into what you're walking into now, which is true. He did. You know, he had great, incredible faith. And Jesus walks out of the midst of them. Wow. Scene change. Then we, then we do a scene change one hour earlier or whatever. That's what the screen would say. One hour, you know, two hours earlier, and it's a rewind. And Jesus, <laughs> maybe four hours early, you know, he's, he's been out all night like he did because he was strange. He went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple, and the people came, and he sat down and taught them. John 8, verse 1 and 2. So we're looking back a couple hours earlier, an hour earlier from this whole scenario, and he's doing what I'm doing. He's sitting down in front of a group of people, you know, dressed normal, peaceful. People are there to listen to him. It's a nice day, and you're just like, how did this crowd, and a lot of Pharisees and, and, and scribes and, you know, the lawyers sitting there, how did this turn into that level of savagery? And like breathing out threats and murder and getting stones. Like, that's it, let's kill him. 
you know, going into the act to do the execution on the, on the spot, you know what I'm saying? And now you're seeing like, oh, it's just a nice church group like this is today, you know, there's a group crowd of people just hanging out and he's like, he's up there, you got the scroll out or whatever he's doing, you know what I mean? <laughs> Sitting up there, just a nice, in his Sunday's best probably, Saturday's best, whatever you say, you know? And, um, but verse three, he's sitting there to talk to everybody. And this is, this is the, this was the trigger. This set everything off. So this, as he's sitting there, he sat down and taught them. So this is in the middle of a sermon, which to be honest, I'll just be let y'all know. I don't like to be interrupted. I, I'm really cool about it. And I just, ah, da, da, but I dislike it. Right. So <laughs> I can imagine just so you know, and I can see you all, by the way. You know what I mean? People don't know that. Even though there's a lot of people here sometimes, it's just like they don't realize, like, yo, I'm looking at you. So if you're doing something strange or distracting, I'm sitting there looking at it. You know? And I don't like it. So you know. But no. Um, so Jesus, I mean, this is like a calm day, you know what I mean? You know? And he's probably, you know, his nature's a little tighter than mine, right? But he's, he's doing his thing. But all of a sudden, we talk about a distraction and an interruption. The scribes and the Pharisees, while he's sitting down, up there teaching. Bring in a woman who was caught in adultery and they set her in the midst. So they come and just like front and center, just boom. And we read this, we can't, we got to look at it as, it as it is. Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that she should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing them that they might have something which to accuse him with. Wow. But Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger as if he did not hear them. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, um, think about this scenario, you know, and not like, it, you know, at, your, at a Bible, you know, like look at it as what's really going in. This is a highly disruptive inter interruption. This isn't someone doing some weird, strange things. You know what I'm saying? In, in the crowd. This is somebody like, they come up in the temple, they've arrested someone with the intent to kill them. To them, it's like the most perfect opportunity. It's the perfect time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so they, they bring this lady in and they bring her in the door and they walk her down in front of everybody and, and like in the very middle of them cause a major distraction. Not a little polite church distraction. You know, it's all quiet. You know, just a little walk in. You know, I'm talking about like in the act of adultery. Does every, everyone's grown here, so we know what that means. We've caught her in adultery in the very act. Like this was happening as we grabbed this, these people. Well, like where's the other person? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, it doesn't, you know, well, we're just bringing her in here. You know what I mean? Because it's not even about her or him. It's about the guy that's up there sitting down reading a scroll. You dig? So they brought her in, you know, boom, and everybody's probably like, <gasps> can you imagine what would happen if some, if, if some police or just any type of thing like that came and happened? What we would all be doing? Like, this is, this is uncomfortable. And it's chaotic. And everybody's like sweating, like, oh, what's going on? You know, we're not even here. What's going on? They're, all of a sudden, they're in a courtroom, a, a, a trial room with the accuser himself. Saying, boom, I've caught it. This is, the, this is what it is. This is what the law says. So what do you say? Hoping that he would come. They know this man is love. They know this man, he, 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 he conducts himself in a different way. 
And so that they know that this is going to be contradictory to his nature in person because they've seen it. But in their mind, because of the tree of the, poison, the poisonous fruit, they see him as being contrary to who God is. He can't be of God because God says it would be this way. So now we're going to like bring it front and center and make him prove that he's not like, air quotes, God, the way God is. Because God says this is the way it's going to happen. And this is what we're talking about when, when we talk about in the beginning of the word, the word is with God, the word was God. He's a divine expression. He's a full communication. He's the express image, Hebrews 1.13. He's the image of the invisible, Colossians 1.15. He's all these different things. His name is the word of God and he is God. It's like, it's like he's coming distinctly to set a stage to be like, look, you think I'm this way, but I'm this way. And so what we think is like, well, this is demonic. It's coming to just try to wreck the whole show. And it's just like, He's like, bring it to me. Let's, let's get it on. Come bring the contrast so that I can actually, so that I can actually reveal the contrast because that's what I want to do. You catch what I'm throwing? And it's just like, here Jesus is not mad. Like, oh, you're just, like, what are you doing? Get out of here. We're reading the word of God. Da, 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 all these things, different things. It's like, he's doing something completely and totally different. He's, he's wrecking the, the plan of the enemy in front of everybody's face, Right? And, and here he is contrasting what they've said God is like. And so, of course, what does he do? This is one of the rudest things that you'll ever see in the Bible. He stoops down and he starts writing on the ground as if he doesn't hear what they're saying. Have you ever talked to somebody and they just totally just kind of turned away while you're talking and just started do, or got on their phone? You ever talk to somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, and they're like, oh, hey, buddy, what's going on? It's like, that is, this does not feel nice, you know? This is, this is a level of this. It's just like they're bringing somebody into the courtroom, so to speak. And Jesus like steps out of the courtroom. Like, oh, I don't, I don't participate in accusation. You think that's the way God that is, but it's not. Not at all, actually. Right? And so Jesus is just like, look, man. He sits down. He starts drawing on the floor as if he doesn't hear but they continued asking him, like, what do you say? Come on, what do you say? What do you do? In their minds, like, we finally have him trapped that he has to contradict the Torah. We finally have him that we can expose him and reveal who he is. And he's thinking, what a lovely opportunity to expose your fallen view of God through the Torah, that it's wrong. It's, com it's completely different. And, I, you know, he's sitting out drawing. I think he's just letting it build. You ever known anybody that likes awkward encounters? You know what I mean? <laughs> I sound like he's like sitting in there comfortable in it. Just like, ah, oh, this is nice. And everyone's like, this is nice. The disciples are like, what are you going to do, man? Where's the exit? How are we getting out? And he's just like, oh, no, just, he's like, let it build up a little more. Let this tension build. Like, ah, oh, ah, you know what I mean? That's my thoughts. But, you know, he's. He's sitting down just drawing on the ground like, oh, are you still talking to me? Kind of thing like, you're so weird. So weird. But he says something. He says, what do you say? He raises himself up and says to them, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And um, I think the true translation is that he looked up. Like he didn't stand up. You know, that's King James stands up. I don't think he did. I think he just looks up because it's like he looks up at him and is like, yeah, like, like, yeah, well, you know, if you're without sin, you, you, you know, you throw the rock first. And it's brilliant. It says, and again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. 
it's just like what a weird character you know but it's it's brilliant it's just I say weird I say what a contrary to anything we've ever thought he was like just so contrary which is the reason he's the image of the invisible like this is well, we have these rules in our law in the Torah about what he is and what he likes and what he wants. And he's like saying, like, well, well, obviously, that's not the way I am. Because now you see him in the Logos, the word, him, actual, his actual self. Like, this is the word of God. And it's like, no, that's your word through your lens. But I am the word of God and I am God. And that's not the way I'm playing this game. And it's so brilliant. You can't fight it. You can, but not through the lens of the person of Jesus. And that's the point of this thing. He stoops down again, you know, he was without sin, let him throw a stone at her first. And those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest and even to the last until Jesus was left alone with the woman. And when he was, he looks up at her, right? And he says, woman, where are those accusers of yours? You know, to which she says, Who, who's left to condemn you? She says, no one, Lord. And he says to her, well, neither do I condemn you. So go and sin no more. Then he speaks up to them and says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And then the fight starts, you know. So the execution squad leaves. The, the, um, the people that were actually there to do the bidding of the accuser himself and of the Jews and of the Pharisees that brought them in, all of the rock throwers dropped their rocks and left out of the place. And, you know, it's, <coughs> excuse me, it's interesting. Jesus stands there and does not participate at all with the accusation but instead waits until they see themselves out because he says something that actually pierces them straight to the heart it says to the conscience in the king james but you know when they heard it they went they went away one by one in uh, beginning with the older ones and it's like and jesus was left alone with the woman and so something jesus said there went straight into that heart of stone and touched it you know what I mean? And they realized, like, they came to their, their minds, which had been poisoned, like, I'm trying to kill somebody right now in order to prove a point about this guy. You know, like, how crazy is that? This nuts. It's insanity. But that poison had driven them that way. And for a moment, their heart was touched, that stone heart, that Ezekiel 36, 26, I'm going to put a heart of flesh in you instead of that heart of stone. He reaches through that stone and touches that thing just with that word of wisdom right there and and boom it touches something he doesn't does he convict them of their sin does he say you're murderers your, your ideas are murder you're this he just says well if he, he doesn't he just speaks the truth he with if you're without sin you're pure then you throw the rock first but it touches them and unlocks them there's something there's a verse that i really like in um john 4 I'm sorry, not John 4, but in Colossians 4, verse 5, it says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. And these people, those who are outside, means people that have not stepped into the reality of this life. 
But walking in wisdom, which is what Jesus is doing, he's doing this with mere human words. The wisdom of God comes and it actually is so seasoned with salt and with grace. He has the right thing to say at the right time and it touches through the hearts of these people to where they realize like, they're snapping out like, I'm about to throw a rock in somebody's face and kill them over something. And I'm not exactly sure that if I had the opportunity, I wouldn't have been in that same situation. Yikes. You know what I mean? And it's like, here's the accuser setting his court and Jesus making, making a, you know, it's like what we've said with the paralytics, the four gospels, lowering them down, lowering the paralytic down into Jesus' house, right? Or the wedding at Cana, you know what I'm saying? The six stone water parts, pots that fill him with water, you know? Or Jacob's well, right? With Fatini there, and it's just like the well of living water and life. Here's Jesus. God has set an entirely new stage right here. And it is the contrast between the accuser and the liberator. And he's saying something really profound here, like, hey, religion has, has twisted you to think that God is the devil. He's the one that's convicting, yanking you into trial, throwing you into jail, condemning you to death. And in reality, I'm nothing like what you've thought. You know, before Abraham was, I am. You've got me all wrong, completely mistaken my identity and my person. And listen, man, being free, we talked about forgiveness last week, and that is a hitter. You know what I mean? It is a liberator to walk in the, in the attitude of the forgiving heart in order to be free ourselves, you know? But this, you know, accusation is the exact opposite of forgiveness. Forgiveness is forgive them for they do not know. They're ignorant about it. They don't know what they're doing, right? I'm not going to hold it against them. Accusation is they did this, they are this, they deserve this. It is completely and totally different. It sinks into the roots of all theology. It's like, I'm a sinner. It's like, was this woman a sinner? Or did, did he treat her like a sinner? Or did he treat her like a daughter who did, not, who did not know what she was doing? And tell her, hey, by the way, don't go back down that road again. It's not you. They're saying, it is her. We have proof that it's her. Let's throw rocks at her. You know what I mean? And Jesus is saying, He's not even saying, he's not even entertaining it, you dig? And it's like, so we have this, this identity clash of who God is, but when we see who God is, we also see who the people are that's been brought before him. We see who we are ourselves, and we see the people in our lives who they actually are without being tainted through a dark lens because, our, because our, the veil's been, been removed. Galatians 3, I, I like the thought, right? When I'm looking at this story, I like the thought of the four guys lowering the paralytic through the bed and then representing the four gospels. He's paralytic, couldn't walk on his own. Son, your sins are forgiven. You know, it's, it's like the gospels bring you into the face of God. But in this, in this time, it's, it wasn't four, four gospel guys grabbing her in by the hands and the feet in a time of utter shame and, you know, failure and humility and all these things. It was like religion. It was like the law itself. And I like that Galatians 3:22 says through 25, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ can be given to those who believe. 
Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. The law was your guardian. Some, some of your Bibles say the law is your tutor. But, you know, the law was your guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now faith has come. We're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. And I think this story is like the epitome, because that's one of those scriptures people love to fight about. But it's like, I love, it's like the epitome of like her sin and, and what she was in, this fallen identity. And the law itself actually were like her ushers that brought her right into the face of her Redeemer. And even more than that, her dad. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, it's such a brilliant thing. Well, the, the, it separ- your sin separates you from God. Well, did this lady's sin separate her from God? I'm not so sure it did. I'm sure, uh, it sounds more like it was, it was a fast track to the face of God. And he wanted to make, see, there's nothing accidental. His express image, he is God, but he's the Logos, he's the Word, he's the expression. There's no, there's no situation that's accidental that's happening with them, you know. He stages, he lets all this stuff stage and he's playing it out and it's written for us to see really clearly because he wants to manifest, yeah, before Abraham was, I am. I'm actually God and you've had me all wrong. I'm not the accuser. The poison of the fall is, is, is turned God into something that he never really was and that was the accuser of the brethren. The reality was, he was the, he's actually the antidote of all of that and he was coming to completely and totally reverse it. This is the brilliance of this actual story. Accusation is the opposite of forgiving them they don't know. You know, It isn't him, and he doesn't, he doesn't actually play in that game. Another thing, when we sense accusation towards ourself or against, even against others from ourselves, we can understand we've stepped into an arena that's not ours to actually navigate. We don't even belong there. We can see ourselves out of it. You know, how freeing is it to, to not actually have to have an opinion? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even have to have an opinion about people. The love, the truth doesn't have any opinion. As a matter of fact, Revelation 19.10 says, like, the spirit of prophecy is the very testimony of Jesus, of who he is. So once we actually link up with the identity of God not being the accuser, how he sees us, we're completely and totally free. And how we can actually see other people, we're actually empowered by His Spirit to actually release that reality into this plastic world. That is a lesser reality. And this is the heads that are lifted up, Psalm 24. This is the reality of having a mindset that is open. And it's open by seeing God as He is. Like everyone's trying to be woke. Everyone's trying to, you know, we're going through, you know, taking you know, all kinds of classes or, you know, seances or, you know, you know, whatever it is, ayahuasca, you know, whatever it is to try to be woke with the, the real, like the lens we look at when we look at him as he truly is, when we come into that dark room with those candles and we, we light them saying like, hey, I don't even know how to really read this thing, but I know it's living and active and it's powerful. This isn't just like a phone book full of words and stories. But by your spirit, you can make this thing come alive and I can see you as you are, which will transform my person. That's what Bible study actually is. And it's not even Bible study. It's actually relational connection to God. 
Because I love hearing the dreams, the visions, the prayer, the communication back and forth, the journaling, all these different things we, we enter into. But there's something we have, this more sure word of prophecy that is the Bible that's right in front of all of us, that it is simple as that. People think, oh, wow, such a good teaching sometimes. I hear that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, all it is is it's like we turn the lights on, you can see the food. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just what it is. We turn the lights on, we see what we're eating. When we go to Golden Corral after this today, all of us. <laughs> yeah, amen, yes. There's a couple of people that actually want that. So, you know, <laughs> if all the lights are, sh- are shut and all the blinds were closed or whatever, you're like, man, you're going to get back to your table and it, it isn't going to be that steak and those sweet potatoes and those green beans that I normally get when I'm there. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to have those on my plate. I might have meatloaf and some other things I have from fried chicken, some other things I didn't want to get. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean... I don't know if that works or not, but I'm just, you know, it's like, hey, man, but when we turn the lights on, yeah, you might end up at, even worse, you might end up at the salad bar on accident. (laughs) Come back with a plate full of salad at Golden Corral. What a waste. Because of light, you know. But seriously, when we read the Bible, it's like, it it is as simple as like, hey, God, you're with me and you're in me and you want to speak to me through this. I don't just have to close my eyes and try to squeeze out a vision or a picture or, you know, all these things. All these are the ways God speaks. So we don't want to, all that's valuable, but it all comes through the Word, through the Bible, you know? And anything that contradicts the Bible is not from the Lord, you know? But it's like coming into the Bible and letting Him speak to you by actually watching Him, seeing Him, knowing Him, seeing His response. You'll, you'll, You'll find yourself transforming and then put into situations where you're there that it's a divine purpose. It's incredible. There's a scripture that came to me Several years ago here, I actually had a dream about it. And it was Matthew 13, 44. And it's a very, I mean, it's just a real quick little passage. And it doesn't seem like a lot on the front end. But he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has. And he buys that field. And... The reality is, is the kingdom of heaven, like Jesus was saying, is actually at hand, you know? And I remember when I, when I looked for that verse, <laughs> I, was, I had this dream, right? It was right before I woke up one morning. This is probably four years ago, five years ago, and um, maybe four years ago. But I was with this man who I perceived to be this, you know, one of God's people, like a prophet or, you know, you know one of these guys. And, and so I was with this guy, and we were walking through this field of wheat that was probably like two to three foot tall and the wind was blowing and and so it almost looked like waves of water and it was golden it was just beautiful looking wheat like you know it it was like almost whitish looking you know cream colored and it's just like man this is like the sun was on it you know and um, I was with this guy and I was like this is amazing like and I thought oh it's too small because I'm not a farmer and so I think wheat's probably up to you know five feet six feet tall like corn is I have no clue. And I was like, oh, it's beautiful. And, 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 he, and he's like, no, it's, it's actually ready now. Like, oh. And I was like, well, how do you, do you got to hire somebody to come and kind of harvest, harvest it? And like, he's like, no, 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 we, we do that. It's like, oh. It's like, we have the tools and equipment to do that? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we got all that. I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, and that was the end of the dream. And I woke up that morning, and I remember, this is how slow my brain works, you know. I wake up to go to the bathroom that morning, I'm walking, and um, 
I'm literally walking to the bathroom and thinking like, like, man, it was only like two to three feet tall. Like, and, and then thinking like, how does that become like bread? Like, so what else do you do with it? You know, just like, almost like I watched a documentary and I'm walking to go to the bathroom, not even thinking like God's actually really speaking to you about something very practical and simple, you know? So I went to the bathroom and simultaneously Googled wheat and realized it was, you know, two to three feet tall. I'm like, oh, well, I guess it was. You know what I mean? I'm just thinking like a farm kid or just like a kid that just went to a, on a field trip. Um, and I remember this reality, the fields being white. And hey, you have everything you need to bring it in. Like we got to hire some, somebody else got to come do that. Like, no, 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 no. And what about the equipment, the tools? Like, I got it. We got all that. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, oh, it's, it's recognizing the field of great price. And, and that's when that scripture I read, and it really came alive to me, that Matthew 13, 44, like the kingdom was like treasure that's hidden in a field. It's something that's, it would seem so insignificant to everybody else that they would just walk past it. Which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. It's like, wow, all that he has, it was like it was worth everything. And it's like, it's amazing. Everyone's walked past this brilliant place and nobody wants to buy it. Like, I'll give you everything I've got for it. I'll buy it with the whole entire thing, you know. And, um, but it's the reality of this life. It's the reality of Jesus' walk in this life. What we think was a complete mess in John chapter 8. He's in the field of harvest. And what we think is this girl, well, she's, she's basically trash. Let's use her as a pawn to kill her. I mean, she needs to die anyway. She's not worth living. And by the law, and, and we could kill two birds literally with one stone, her and him, by bringing her into this scenario and proving that he's not like God. And here he is manifesting God in his contrast. And he says like, man, I love this field. I love this girl. You know what I'm saying? I'll give my everything I own. I'll give my whole life to buy this place. He, he kept it hidden, it says. Like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he hid. He kept a secret. Who he was, what he was doing, because he was going to give everything to redeem it. And this is the love of God and the value of heaven. And we can actually walk in this same reality. In this place that's a field that looks like a mess, that looks like just, you know, like, like there's nothing. It's like actually heaven is there. Because everybody's waiting and looking, well, where's my, next, where's my next big break? And where's my next ministry connection? And what's my calling and my purpose and all that? And Jesus is actually saying, hey, like the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's like you're in the most prime land, the place of brilliant opportunity right now in the present. You know, because I'm with you and this stuff is here. This stuff is here. And if we have value, we look like this. There's so many people that aren't. Some of you moved here. Some of you are from here. But I found this place, like even just having friends and stuff, like, where do you live? Like some little East Texas town. And it's just like, no, like I started to have this view of like, this is, this is the center of the world. I know that sounds silly, maybe to some, but the open heaven of God of purpose and destiny is where you find yourself in following him. And that is the center of the universe. It is walking with him, recognizing the field, the treasure that's in it. And the treasure that's in it are the people that are in it. You know what I mean? It's the relationships. It's the community. It's the situations. Even when I was thinking about this message, I was like, this is going to happen to people this week. And we're going to realize like a lot of the situations, hopefully not to that same level as this lady getting drug in. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, but maybe so. But I mean, 
We find ourselves in situations where God will bring people and things and situations across our path so that we actually have a lifted mind. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. That's the way it says in Ephesians 5. But in Colossians 4, it says walk in wisdom to those who are outside. You know, redeeming the time. This place of time and space is so fleeting, but it is so valuable. And we walk in the wisdom of heaven by seeing God as He truly is. Entering in this relationship ourselves and seeing Him, it causes us to be outside or like to meet those who are outside, people that are actually striving and looking and searching for God that may, they might not, they might not be the key to, you know, getting your name in the lights. They might be somebody that the world completely looks over, but they are of such value. And to be able to actually speak with words of, of grace, the grace of God, instead of the con- condemnation of the accuser, seasoned with salt, which in other words is like, be personable with people, be cool. Not cool in the trendy way, but like be actually personable and not religious. You know, let your words be with grace. Let them be seasoned with salt. Be there for people. Be in the moment when situations or weird things come into your life because it's a door of opportunity for somebody. And in being faithful in the here and now and time and space and and what, what comes in and out of our life, that's walking in the faith that realizes this is a field of great, great value. It unlocks purpose and destiny. It unlocks the next steps of our life as well. But we realize like time is precious and people are too. And we see them through the lens of God and we manifest his reality onto the earth more and more. That's the goal here. That's the goal of the church, you know, of Matthew 16. It's just like the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Blessed are you for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. In other words, you've stepped into relational connection with God and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That's our goal. Stepping, people stepping into relational connection with God and then bang, bang, and bang, and banging on the gates of hell, popping them, breaking them. You know, I hit it and it goes bang, you know what I mean? Just something like that, you know, just hitting it, banging it down, you know. Uh, rough landing on that one, but. <laughs> It'll be okay. Lord, we thank you that your word's true. Yeah. And you have a sense of humor. Yeah. And you don't mind distractions. You welcome it. You let it come to you. You actually set it up. Help us to be more like you. Help us to see you. Let the, let the word of life illuminate you, your person. That we're not in here searching for knowledge to memorize things, but we're seeking to actually know you, to light this word and to eat this word so that it becomes a part of us. And then when we walk out of that secret place, we transfer its reality to the world around us. Amen.